big changes are coming to Columbia's cinema and television arts department, but not everyone is on board. I'll tell you more about the conflict that has Columbia alums and industry professionals weighing in. Coming up, more about a digital magazine that features the ultimate guide to quarantine snacks, a faux political campaign about a cat, and much more. Get the scoop on a new place you and your friends can go to for the perfect selfie. Yes, I'm talking about a selfie playground. Keep listening to meet the Columbia Chronicle's new co-editor-in-chief, Brooklyn Kioso. This is Chronicle Headlines. I'm your host, Paige Barnes. Columbia Cinema and Television Arts Department is facing some big changes. Starting this fall, the department is taking away curriculum on 16mm and 35mm film. Columbia is one of the few film schools to still teach with celluloid film. Chair of the CTVA department, Thelma Vickroy, announced this change in a September 14th email to BFA students. Current students are saying this decision was made without them. Now, months later, dozens of industry professionals and Columbia alum are continuing to pressure the college administrators, asking them to reverse the course on this decision. Joining me now is staff reporter Noah Jennings to tell you an update on what's been happening. There's been a lot of Columbia alums and industry professionals who have come forward and basically said that the college is making a mistake to remove 16 millimeter and 35 millimeter instruction from the curriculum. Uh, They're saying a lot of things like that it's still very much an active part of the industry and that there aren't a lot of schools remaining that still teach these sorts of things about film and how to operate those cameras. And so when there aren't schools like that out there teaching these sorts of things, there's more and more people coming to sets without any sort of knowledge of how to use it when it's still a very active part of the industry. You know, I've, I've talked to recent alums who have uh, come from Columbia, who most of their career is surrounding working on film. There's been some very high name individuals, high ranking individuals who may not have gone to Columbia, but they talk about how yeah, that's what I like. That's my standard for my production. And there's even current students that they, that's how they want, that's how they envision having success in the industry is working in this area. And there's some that are juniors now and being that next year it's going to be gone, you know, that kind of just throws off their entire course. You mentioned the alums and the film industry professionals. Can you name specific ones and what have they said? Back in November, December, when I was first working on this, uh, recently after the decision um, with my former colleague at the Chronicle, Ryan Rosenberger, uh, one person I talked to a lot was John Jankowski, who is uh, a recent student at Columbia. And he works almost not I won't it's not exclusively but he does a lot of work on film and he's made a name for himself uh in film and while he didn't actually graduate from Columbia but since he left he has former classmates that are still here 
that, you know, they turn to him for advice for what to do. And so he's telling to them and he's talking with them all the time about, you know, how it still is a important part of the industry. And they see him as someone who's recently been at the college and is already having plenty of, ex- of success working there. So that's one example of that. Um, and then there's, of course, Hannah Wellover, who wrote the letter. Um, and she's also a director and cinematographer and a 2013 Columbia alum. So she clearly has a lot of motivation behind that, that she feels passionate about. And through her, she was able to recruit all sorts of famous individuals uh, to sign on to the letter to say that, yeah, Columbia needs to reverse this decision. Um, for example, the, the major one that came in a little bit late, but the major one was Martin Scorsese signed the letter in support saying that Columbia needs to make sure that this is still taught. Uh, some other ones were Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu, who was with Birdman, uh, Reed Morano from Handmaid's Tale, a uh, bunch, bunch of people, a lot of high-name people. Uh, on the, the letter itself had over 60 people on it. And all of them had prominent roles in the industry. That actually was my next question is what actions have been taken? You mentioned Hannah Wellover wrote this letter and had 68 people sign on to it. What else has been done to voice their opinions? Aside from the letter, if we back up to closer to when the decision was announced back in September, Almost immediately after John Joukowsky and several of his uh, close, uh, a couple of his friends and other Columbia, former Columbia students got together and they created a change.org petition. And as of today, it has over 2,300 signatures saying, you know, hey, let's reverse this decision. Essentially the same thing that the letter's doing. The petition is, was one of the main things I was in. And so that was part of the reason why Ryan and I realized, okay, yeah, we need to cover this right away because while it's 2,300 now, it's kind of been at 2,300 right around there for a while. And in that first week when it happened, I mean, in mere days, they hit a thousand. So it was a very quick response. And so that's why it grabbed our attention in the first place. And then after their lack of the administration's lack of a response to that, uh, it motivated Hannah to start the beginning processes of composing this letter uh, along with the support of various other professionals, as I previously mentioned. Has the letter been sent yet and to whom? The letter was sent a few weeks ago and it was addressed specifically to, and it was also sent in email form to uh, Dr. Kim, uh, the provost, Marcella David, uh, the Dean of the School of Media Arts, Eric Friedman, and the uh, department chair of the CTVA department, Thelma Vickeroy. I was going to read an excerpt from the letter just so that our listeners know what was said. Um, the beginning of it says to Dr. Kwangu Kim, president, Marcella David, Eric Friedman, Thelma Vickroy, and the Columbia College Chicago administration. It has come to our attention that the film cameras and the accompanying photographic theory and processes will be discontinued from the cinematography curriculum at the end of this academic year. We alumni, faculty, and industry professionals believe these timeless tools to be of profound relevance as a very foundation of cinematography. 
it's a really long letter, but I see exactly what they mean here that they want this to continue on. What did the chair of the cinema and TV arts department, Thelma Belkroy, say the reasoning was to get rid of celluloid film slash 13 mil- or sorry, 16 millimeter and 35 millimeter film? She originally announced the decision back in September in an email to BFA cinematography students. And in there, she said that instead they were going to focus, the college was going to focus and the department was going to focus on a completely digital curriculum, a completely digital-based curriculum, and that now they would uh, sort of be updating the facilities and uh, uh, what they have access to. They were going to update that to maintain industry standards and meet industry standards for the long run. Um, because, you know, she's emphasizing the importance of staying up to date with the current trends in the industry. And so that was what she was saying then. And, you know, there's certainly multiple sides to the debate of, you know, which should they, should they not. Uh, However, then after there was some, you know, the petition comes out and there's criticism from students and alums, there has not been much of a response after that. There was the original email. Um, There was one town hall with students where she slightly touched on the question, one question of it, no more than one about her decision and said essentially the same thing as in the email. And that's been it. You've heard from her and you've heard from, don't believe there's been any other comment out there for anyone else other than her in the original email. So despite all of these efforts from current students and alums and industry professionals, it's still just that one email. Not only did students not get an input whether film would be continued or not, but now that they are voicing their opinions, nothing on their end has been like, there's no opportunity for them to stand up and say, Hey, I don't want this. No, there there hasn't. It's it was one decision. And during the town hall I mentioned, the only thing she really said was that, you know, she, it was kind of an obvious decision was sort of the tone she was giving was that it was an obvious decision. And she said there were students that in there asking questions, you know, and putting things in the chat because it was on Zoom about, you know, why why are you doing this, et cetera. And so she's like, well, I will apologize for that's for the industry going in that direction, but that's the way it is going. And so we need to accept that and adapt. And that's been it. There's been nothing else. This, there's been plenty of efforts from students and nothing else. When you were reporting on this matter, what has been one of the most difficult parts in trying to get answers to this? Because it sounds like a really thick conflict at the moment i will say in the original article that ryan and i wrote uh we were talking about a couple different topics of you know different areas of criticism that students had for the department and so we were working together on that and since it was more of a broad topic i will say uh thelma vicroy did uh respond well to us for that and was was community there was a solid communication there back and forth Um, but then for this second article that I'm doing, that's 
strictly on the topic of the decision to eliminate film, uh, there's been nothing I've made. There's been plenty of efforts made from the Chronicles end. We've given ample opportunity for each and every one of the individuals addressed in the letter. Um, we were aware, we were made aware from Hannah when the letter was going to be sent. And so we were on top of that when it was sent. So as soon as it was sent, we were, you know, requesting any sort of, you know, saying, hey, is there any sort of response we can get on this? And, you know, I think part of it wasn't just for the sake of us, because we, you know, first off, we want a balanced story here. You know, we don't want to make this come off as some sort of hit piece. You know, they have a very solid, uh, an important opinion here, an important voice in the story. And so, you know, that's really important. But aside from that, more importantly, we were concerned about the students and the students we know wanted a response. And so we said, hey, you know, we think this could go a long way for them if you were to address it because it wasn't being addressed at all. It was just silenced. And I think even addressing the fact that there's a crowd of people that are upset about it could maybe get you somewhere because the, the people here aren't backing down. There's a petition with 2,300 signatures. There's a new letter that's come out months after asking you to change it. It's clearly not going anywhere. So, you know, we, we tried multiple times, but nothing from them. What are some questions that still remain, you know, outside of Vic Roy's response? Anything else? I think the biggest questions all lie in the administration. And so, you know, a response to that is certainly one thing, but also just because I think there's still questions about their motivation for it, considering all these people have come forward and said, hey, you're, you're not right in saying that this isn't in date and that it's you know that it, that, that this is outdated uh, that's incorrect there's all these examples of us creating all this work in the industry still and i think it's also important to beg to wonder i mean the school recently said there's a 30 million dollar deficit at this school how much of that played a role in deciding this was it strictly that this is this is truly where you believe the industry is going or was it something that you decided to get cut because there's only the one thing out there? And so I think there's multiple questions for the administration that people would like answered here because you can't really get all those answers in one short email that got sent in September. Thank you very much, Noah. I hope that you will keep us posted with this. Now, listeners, to read Noah's full article, you can go to ColumbiaChronicle.com. Here's a digital magazine that has something in it for everyone. From ghost adventures to touching stories about students' experiences being adopted to a Q&A with a local coffee shop owner, Frank Magazine is truly a student collaboration. Here to talk about the 10th edition of Frank is staff reporter Cameron Coutinello. Frank is a digital magazine housed in the photography department. It is worked on by students from multiple majors, including photography, graphic design, illustration, animation, and journalism. 
it is a class that students take where they write articles and produce everything for the magazine. That's really cool. Why was Frank created? Frank was created in 2012 um, by internship and career advisor Joe Nelsiren and special advisor for community engagement Peter Fitzpatrick. And it was meant to be a place for students to work on um, different things to build their portfolio while also learning how to work with other people. How many volumes has Frank produced? There have been 10 different editions produced since it was started. This time around, can you tell me what stories were told in this edition? Tell me a little bit more what they involved. Um, Yeah, I want to know all about it. There were a multitude of stories in this edition. There were ghost adventures where they looked at different haunted spots across Chicago. There There was a spoof political campaign based around a cat. Um, uh, stories of bad Tinder dates, um, adoption experiences, and they did a feature on a local coffee shop, which was run by a graphic designer. Have you gotten a chance to read any of the stories? I did. Um, I really liked and dove right into the ghost stories one because I am a big fan of all that spooky stuff and it blew my mind to read all that stuff about Chicago that I did not know. How was the production of Frank affected by the pandemic? So this was the first time that Frank was run completely remote from start to finish. So everything did have to of course be done over Zoom, which did make it a little more difficult for the different collaborators to try to um, get everyone's schedules down on what everyone could meet. One of the collaborators who I interviewed, Arena Goldman, she talked about how when they went to Lincoln Park to get pictures for the Ghost Stories one, it was like the first time that some of them had actually met in person. So that was a really kind of interesting experience to have been working with people for months at that point and you still hadn't met them face to face. Thank you very much, Cameron. You can check out the latest issue of Frank at columbedu slash frankx. To read the full story, you can go to columbiachronicle.com. The Columbia Chronicle is welcoming new leaders to the management team. Previous co-editor-in-chief Kendall Polidori has taken a position with Chicago-based publication Lunchbox Magazine on its editorial team. Now, the Chronicle is excited to have former managing editor Brooklyn Kioso in the new role of co-editor-in-chief and Diana Daniels as she moves up to managing editor. Joining us now is Brooklyn. Hey, Brooklyn. Hi, Paige. I want to start off by congratulating you on the position. I'm very excited for all the changes that are coming to the Chronicle. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be in this position. So I'm Brooklyn. I started at the Chronicle in January of 2020, and I started as a copy editor. Why did you apply to the Columbia Chronicle? I really applied, honestly, because I needed a job. And I knew that I liked writing, obviously, and I really enjoy editing. Um, I was already editing for a lit mag, um, Hotel America, which is run by David Lazar, who is a professor at Columbia. And I wanted to expand my horizons with 
I have a background in creative writing and I really wanted to get more acquainted with journalism. What topics, subjects do you like to cover when you are writing creatively? And then what topics do you like covering or that you have found to enjoy covering when you are having like your news cap on? Creatively, I write a lot of observational pieces on the body, which can sound kind of confusing, but it really just means I write a lot about mental health and history with eating disorders, but also about how my brain works when I'm observing other people and how their bodies work. But when it comes to more like a newsy angle. I really enjoy interviewing writers, authors, filmmakers about the work that they're doing. What has the Chronicle taught you? What have you learned? That's a hard question because I think I've learned a lot from the Chronicle. I think most importantly, though, through working at the Chronicle in the past year or so, I've learned that I really love being in a newsroom. And I wasn't really expecting that, to be honest. When I first started at the Chronicle, I was pretty set in the career path in my mind that I had for myself, which was to get a master's and a PhD in creative writing and teach creative writing at a university level. But now I kind of see a path for myself. While that still sounds amazing, I could also see myself very well in a newsroom editing for a newspaper or a magazine. What goals do you have for the Chronicle as we wrap up the spring semester? Personal goals for myself is I want to report more thoroughly reported pieces because I do do a lot of arts and culture. Um, I would love to like put my hand in at some campus reporting, some heavy reporting. But then overall for the Chronicle, I just really want to show reporters what their capabilities are and use not just myself as an example, but everyone at the Chronicle. There's a lot of people that have moved up in the ranks really quickly and they've proven themselves. So I really just want reporters to know that they might've just started, but they can move up quickly as long as they keep working hard. Do you have a fun fact to share about yourself before we end this? Fun fact about myself. I am very into anime and I have a whole bunch of Studio Ghibli tattoos on my right leg, as well as recently an anime tattoo from Oran High School Host Club. So I'm just building this like body of anime tattoos. Thank you very much, Brooklyn, for your time to read not only Brooklyn's stories, but all the rest of the stories at The Chronicle. You can go to ColumbiaChronicle.com. But first, let me take a selfie at this selfie playground. Magic Selfies, a new pop-up at 1143 South Delano Court, is giving the chain smokers a run for their money. But first, let me take a selfie. Patrons can take the perfect selfie in front of 17 different set designs, including a money wall, a private jet, and a replica of the Mona Lisa. Here to talk about Magic Selfies is owner and creative director, Jaja Casanova. Basically, let me start off with, I was such a fan girl for the Ice Cream Museum. And I was just like, wow, like it's really dope what she did. I'm like, but I know that I don't have millions of dollars to create something so big. So I was like, what if I just like shrink it down? You know what I'm saying? What if I create something where, you know, I can basically build out these rooms and 
do basically selfie selfie stuff so people can like take dope selfies fast forward to this um basically it was just like i saw that you know there was an avenue for this you know what i'm saying and i knew that i do set designing and usually a lot of like selfie museums they commission people to do it but i did all 15 rooms by myself what was your favorite to design to concept my favorite concept to design honestly would be I have two, actually. Actually, I actually have three. <laughs> I love the money room because I'm all about manifestation. And every time people come here, they just feel so rich. And I love seeing like them throwing up the money, putting it in their pocket, and just like acting like, like just just manifesting. They don't even know that they're manifesting this. Like they're manifesting that in their life. So, um, seeing them do that, I love that one. My other room is the one with the pink LED light. I love that one just because it just I don't know it's cool. And I love the whole basketball room slash like yellow gated room. So how have you been opening this um, along with COVID-19 protocol? Mm -hmm. So that's been like super important to us. The main thing for us is keeping down how many people can come in. Um, we like to keep everybody spaced apart, which is actually works with this type of um, setup, setup because everything is kind of over six feet apart. So you're never in the same room with anybody unless they're your people. That's good for that. Um, we always make sure that anytime when, when they get the um, tripods, we clean the tripods off, we clean the remotes off. Um, I also made sure to have 30 minutes um, within um, after each session until the next session so that I can have, so I can clean up, disinfect, um, you know, high touching point areas. For I'm sure a lot of people, do they have to wear masks? How does that work? Yeah, so mask is super important to us when you're walking um, throughout the areas. When you're inside your actual, you know, if you're taking a picture, obviously, you know, you can take off your mask, but we're very like, we, we make sure that you have your mask on when you're walking around. And we also, oh, another thing that we do is we take temperature checks at the door and we make sure to give them hand sanitizers as well. And one of the last things I want to touch on is um, as a woman and a person of color, mm -hmm. how do you see like your, your goal, how this has manifested itself? Mm -hmm. How do you see that play into your work? I've literally done everything by myself. Um, you know, I have three daughters and, you know, I'm going to be 35 in two weeks. Just seeing how far I've come sometimes, I don't even think that I noticed it. I never really get the time to like sit back and be like, yo, like I really did this. Like I am, I am half black. I am, I am half Hispanic. I am a woman. I do have kids. Like there's so much stigma that should be like up on me, but it's like, I never let that ever get in between like what my dreams and my fantasies are. Mm -hmm. And my motive is like, I bring fantasies to life, including my own. And my fantasies are my dreams. I don't ever want to stop. I never want to stop like just overdoing myself because I feel like I'm my only competition. Like there's no, I never look at anybody else. Even when I'm doing this process, I try to stay offline as much as I can so that I don't get like um, ideas from like other places. Like I, of course you're going to get ideas from other people, but one of my main things that I always tell like people that I work with, I'm like, when you're doing something and you're building, just try to stay off of anything that can shift your mind from what you really want to do. Magic Selfies is open Wednesday through Thursday, 12 to 8.30 p.m., Friday and Saturday, noon to 10 p.m., and Sunday, 12 to 8.30 p.m. Tickets are $25 for adults during the week and $30 during the weekend. Guests must have a reservation in advance. You can go to magicselfies.com for more details.
Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Chronicle Headlines. You can check out all these stories and more at ColumbiaChronicle.com. For additional coverage, we are at CC Chronicle on Instagram and Twitter. Chronicle Headlines is made possible by a collaboration with the staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX-FM, Chicago's Underground. Under the leadership of Suzanne McBride, Chair of the Communication Department at Columbia College Chicago. Until next time, I'm your host, Paige Barnes.